So you've seen me up here doing worship for many years, and that can be a daunting thing. To be standing here singing in front of people, playing music in front of people, um, I wasn't sure I could do it, but I felt called because I loved the music and I loved the Lord and I put two and two together and just God has been doing an amazing thing. But I still get a lot of people who want to serve, but they don't want to stand in front of people. It's, it's a scary thing. And so we have other places where you could serve. But here we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul an amazing man, and Tony and I were talking about how amazing this guy is. The more you study First Corinthians, even the Second Corinthians, it's just Paul is this amazing guy. He's going to this city of Corinth, this bustling city, very much like our own right here, Pasadena, like L.A. People everywhere, all the time. Some corners of the city, they might get a little quiet, but... It's never quiet. Business starts early. Goes on all day. Goes to late. If you want nice and quiet, if you want that kind of life, you've got to get out of the city. You've got to run from the city. But the Apostle Paul, he ran to the city. Why? Why would he do that? Well, that's where the people are. The people. Ministry is all about people. About five or six years ago, I had been invited to lead worship at this uh, Bible study in downtown Hollywood. And uh, I was thinking it was kind of this new starter church. Because it was a small little church over there near West Hollywood. And it's a very busy area of the streets. Uh, a lot of homeless, a lot of people there, but no one in the church. It was really small. Uh, but the Lord was using them, and God was doing a work there. And it surprised me to know they had been there for many years and just stayed small. That's what God had for them. But the pastor shared with me this dilemma he was having. Um, people would come, they would get saved, and guess what? They leave. They get saved and they leave. They give their lives to Christ, and they wanted to get out of the city. Some of them wanted to leave behind a life, a past life. Uh, for example, especially out there in West Hollywood, uh, a, a life in a gay and lesbian lifestyle. They, they needed to get out of there. They could not stay. To stay in that community would be too much for them. Say so they move out and move away. Some of the young people, they, they meet there at the church. They get married. They don't want to raise their children there in that environment. They leave. So here this guy has this church, and God is using it, but it's staying small. Because people are giving their lives to the Lord. They're getting saved, but they're leaving. And they're, but that's okay. That's what God has, has for that church. And that's a city. People are there. It is crazy. It is wild. It is loud. People love that. But when they get saved, they want to get out of there. And it's a natural thing for us to run. Run from danger. Especially after you give your life to Christ. We see the Apostle Paul running to it. In fact, he starts a church there. <laughs> He wrote in Philippians 1.21, for, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, knowing that the church was adversely affected by all the immorality found in the city. And so he writes 1 Corinthians here. And it's a warning for us. When sin is so blatant around you, the temptation to go along with the crowd is very difficult. That temptation. Everyone is doing it. You could do it. It's fine. Everyone's doing it. And that temptation is there. It's difficult. 
if you have difficulty in certain sins, you stay far, far away from them. It wouldn't be smart for you, right? It wouldn't be smart for you if you were an alcoholic and you're like working in a bar. It's, it's, it's not smart. Or if you're an alcoholic and you, you want to hang out in a bar with your friends, that's not, that's not smart. You run away. You get away. You have to stay away. As a child, you learn quickly. You play with fire and, right, you get burned. You play with fire, you're going to get burned. You learn that. The Lord gives us a picture here in chapter 10. An example. And what's wonderful about this chapter, which I really love about it, is Paul turns back to the Old Testament to remind them, don't you remember what Christ did for you? And that's for us too. Don't you remember what Christ did for you? At one point in your life, you turned your life to Christ. Something happened to you. Or maybe you're here tonight and that hasn't happened yet and you're searching Each one of us have that moment where you thought, wait a minute, God is real. Did you hear Tony uh, this morning? He was saying, Paul liked to bring that up about, about Jesus, that, wait a minute, he's the Messiah. That means Jesus is God. And for the Jewish mind here in the Bible, that's crazy. But Jesus was God. Jesus is God. The Lord gives us uh, pictures throughout the Old Testament to remember, to stay away from those things. Remember in Genesis, God was talking to Cain. That story didn't turn out too well. Remember what he said to Cain? He says, because Cain was angry about his sacrifice over his brother Abel. And God says, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fell or have fallen? His, His face was like down. He was so down. If you do well, this is God saying, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, and here's what I'm getting at. If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And God kind of personifies sin right here. Sin is at the door. And what happens when someone's at the door? They want to come in, right? They're knocking. They're knocking and they want to come in. Saying sin is at the door. And its desire is for you. Like sin has a desire. Sin has a desire for you. And God says, but you should rule over it. You could do this, Cain. You could rule over it. The temptation, the anger. Let your emotion just go. And and that's what Cain did. He ended up killing his brother. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant. Vigilant, sorry. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who who he may devour. He wants to devour someone. A lion, he just, he creeps around, he sees his prey. Maybe you've seen some of these wild animal uh, documentaries and their behavior. The lion looks for the, the weakling. When he chases a whole herd, the little, the little baby one gets left behind because he can't run that fast. Easy meal for the lion. And that's what the Lord is saying. The weak ones, the calves, the does, they're young, they're easy to catch. He says, beware, because Satan is like that. He's looking to get you. When you're weak, he's looking to get you. Be on guard. Um, Before we hit chapter 10, chapter 7, Paul speaks clearly regarding marriage and divorce and the temptation of leaving your spouse because of the carnality 
your flesh that is in and here it's in the church no different than our in our age in chapter 8 paul warns us about our liberty that we have our liberty becoming a stumbling block to those who are weak if we are causing our brother to stumble our brother or sister in the lord to stumble hey we're in sin if we're doing that and in chapter 9 he says paul gives to us the example of denying himself he puts himself as the example to deny himself and he's telling us deny yourselves for the sake of the gospel that liberty that you have that freedom that you have deny yourself paul refused to take advantage of the right that he had to receive from the church for his necessities I don't know how he did it. Traveling the way he did. and he, he didn't want to take anything from the church. It was so very important for him to present the gospel without anyone charging him of abusing his authority. That was very important for him. And he wanted us to use that example. Verse 22 of chapter 9, Paul says, I've become all things to all men that I might by all say uh, by all means save some and it's too bad that too many christians today they stop reading right there because they use that verse as an excuse to party they use that verse as an excuse to play with the world a little bit and still they call themselves christians somehow but they need to start continue reading Verse 23 of chapter 9, it says, Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Partaker? Partaker what with me? He's talking about self-denial, that whole chapter. If you're going to deny yourself from drinking any alcohol, okay, I'm going to do it too. It may not be a problem I have, but... If you're weak in that area, then I'm not going to do that either. That's what he's saying. You have a problem doing drugs, smoking weed or something. Okay, then your brother in Christ, I'm not going to do it either then. I'm going to deny myself those things for you. And that's what he's saying here. He's going to deny himself these things for our sake. Because he wants to participate with it. He's going to suffer with us, with it, with this kind of denial. And the same thing he's saying for us to use him as an example. We have to do that for each other. You know, um, a brother here, he had a heart attack. And he needed, and he came out of it okay. And he, he needed to um, get on a diet. Uh, and not that he was very overweight, but... Just the way he would eat and just the things he would eat. He had a a main artery that clogged up. And he had a heart attack. Good friend of mine. I was shocked. But he said, you know what? The doctor said, you know, if I change my diet, if I do this, this, I can get, I can clear these arteries. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do that with you. I know I needed to do that myself just to be healthy but I want to do that with him. And there's a comfort to that as we go along life with each other. If your brother says, hey, you know what? Um, I used to be a dancer and I don't know how I'm not going to dance anymore. I'm in, I'm in Christ now and I can't do that. Okay, then I'm not going to dance anymore. Hey, uh, you know, I don't go cruising with my buddies down East L.A. You know, I don't do that anymore. Okay, well, then you're not gonna, I'm not going to go cruising anymore. And we do that for each other because we care for one another. That's what Paul is saying here. That's self-denial. Even though I'm not weak in that area, my conscience is clear. But though I'm not weak in that area, I will do it for you. As if I am. That's what he said. As weak, I I become as weak. 
I do these things for your sake. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Very awesome. All right, let's get into chapter 10 here. Paul begins to remind us why. Why we are to take this difficult road. What difficult road? The difficult road of the example that we have to give to each other for our marriages. Uh, The example of not allowing your liberty and your freedom to cause others to fall into sin. The difficult road of denying yourself for the sake of the gospel that people would get saved. Paul begins to paint this beautiful picture, if you will, reminding us of what God did for us, going to the Old Testament and relating it to Christ. It was all pointing to Christ. Let's read 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren. So he's continuing what he's saying here. Moreover, brethren. I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock, capitalized rock, that followed them. And that rock was Christ. He clarifies that for us. Let's make it clear who was there. Jesus was there. The rock. It's capitalized because it speaks of divinity. The person of God. Remember, remember, Jesus is God. The rock was there. Jesus was there. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. The Word was God. And He was with God. In, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus was there. Remember what it says in Deuteronomy 32.4? He is the rock. His His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. And wouldn't it be nice to get justice in in today's politics today? A God of truth and without injustice. Righteousness and upright is he. Corinthians 1 through 4, Paul is talking and referring to Exodus chapter 17. It says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. The rock, it was their salvation. They were in the desert. They needed water to drink. They were going to die. And the rock is our salvation. He is our salvation. So see how he brings that back to us. We cannot survive without Christ. He is our rock. Our salvation. We have to drink. We need the water. We need the Messiah. We need Christ. The rock. So um, is it any wonder why the Lord did not take Moses' sin lightly (laughs) later on when he misrepresented the Lord at Kadesh in Numbers chapter 20. Remember, God told him to strike the rock. If Jesus is the rock, is he giving us life reluctantly? Is he doing it unwillingly like the way Moses represented him? No. Jesus gave his life for us Willingly, he did it. Not with disobedience. 
Not with anger that Moses had when he struck the rock. God told him to speak to the rock. I don't know why Moses hit the rock. He was mad. Jesus, the humble servant of all. He would go to the cross for us willingly. God emptied himself of his glory, came to die for us to be like that saving drink of water, our salvation. And yet you'll find him washing his disciples' feet with water. Humble servant. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul continues, 1 Corinthians 10.5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. He's talking about going through the desert, the children of Israel. They went, they crossed the Red Sea. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Who survived of all those people? Do you remember? Joshua and Caleb. That's right. Hey, you guys are good Bible students. You must be sitting under Xavier for a long time. Like me. Most of them. He didn't say all of them because there was two. (laughs) Most of them. He was not pleased. And they end up being buried out there in the desert. Scattered as they went along. As they died out. A generation went by. Until they entered the promised land. So they were buried out there. The wilderness journey took them 40 years. They were 40 years in the wilderness. And yet if you look at a map, they, they estimated they could have uh, made that journey in 11 days. But they're out there for 40 years. Their compromise, their desire for sin. They couldn't, they couldn't take, they took them out of Egypt, but they couldn't take Egypt out of them. Their desire for sin, it's, it stopped them from a good life ahead. How about, how about you guys? Is your compromise and your desire stopping you from a good life ahead? Verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. I thought it was really interesting here. Paul included himself. This guy's an amazing man, but he includes himself. He says, we. That we should not lust after evil things. Paul was a man like everybody else. He's no different. We all have weaknesses. We all can lust after evil things. Verse 7. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Quoting Exodus chapter 32. Moses was delaying his return. You remember, he went up to the mountain. The mountain of the Lord and Aaron made this golden calf. And the people worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And they, quote, rose up to play. It has uh, sexual connotations to it. And the people of Corinth knew about this. The temple of, of Aphrodite was there in Corinth. The temple virgins were there to perform sexual rituals. The Corinthians knew what Paul was talking about when he said rose up to play. And perhaps some of them were compromising. They were in that culture. Everybody's doing it. It's okay. And yet still call yourself a Christian. That's why he brings it up right here. He says, don't you remember what happened earlier? He's reminding them. And you know, Moses had to plead for the, uh, plead to the Lord to not utterly destroy 
the children of Israel. God wanted to destroy them. Even Aaron. God turns to Moses and says, I'll make you a great nation. And Moses pleaded for their lives. Verse 8. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. He's talking about Numbers 25. The children of Israel joined themselves sexually to Baal. And committed harlotry with the women of Moab. They died. 23,000. Again, the Corinthians can relate to these pagan practices. In Corinth, at this time, the time of Paul, one can find the cults of the gods of Egypt there, Rome, Greece. And as I mentioned before, the temple of Aphrodite was there. Verse 9. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Uh, I kind of was curious. What do you mean tempt Christ? Well, okay, let's see. He's quoting Numbers 21. They spoke against Moses and, and uh, they were sick of the manna. God, remember, they were in the wilderness and, and they needed food. And God brought down this miraculous spiritual bread. They didn't have to pay for it. They just had to collect it. And they had certain... Uh, Things they needed to do with it and they couldn't do with it. And so there were restrictions about it. But um, they started to challenge God. They got sick of it. I don't know what it tastes like. I keep thinking manna tastes like Hawaiian bread. Oh, I love Hawaiian bread. But they challenged God and the people called the manna worthless bread. They went to Moses. They said, we don't want this worthless bread anymore. And God sent snakes to destroy them. Actually, the Bible says fiery serpents. I don't know what a fiery serpent is, but I I hate snakes. I can't imagine a fiery one. Just a lively, crazy, crazy one that you, you can't control, you can't touch. It'll bite you. A fiery serpent. To destroy them. Hmm. You know, in John 3, uh, 14, Jesus mentions this episode as well. He says, uh, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. God told Moses to make this serpent and put it on on a pole, on a stick, and to lift it up high. So that when the people got bit by these snakes, if they look at the pole, they look at the snake, serpent, it made of brass, then they'll be saved. They won't die. The people were dying from poisonous snakes. So if they looked at it, if they just look at it, that's all you got to do is look at it. You're saved. And Jesus mentions this. And he says, that's like me. Right? He says it in John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, be lifted up. Lifted up. And look at me. That's it. You'll be saved. This was an example of Christ's salvation. We have to turn and look upon him to be saved. Nothing else. And he's trying to teach the children of Israel back there at that time. Faith here. Look, at just believe it. Look at that snake and you're not going to die. They didn't have to do anything for it. They didn't have to, you know, get some medicine. They didn't have to bury something or take water out of the ground or anything. You just, just look at it. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's me, Jesus is saying. Just look at me. Believe in me, Jesus said. Christ's salvation. Turn and look upon him and to be saved. All right, back to Corinthians. We're in verse 10. 
He also continues, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. That sounds ominous. It's like a Marvel movie, the destroyer. And it was. He's talking about Numbers chapter 16. Paul is talking about Korah and his companions. These uh, leaders, they came up to Moses and Aaron. They were tired of Moses and Aaron. It's like, who, who do you think you are? You know, you're bossing us around. We've had enough. We have 250 leaders. We're going to take over. They were complaining of the authority of Moses and Aaron. But who were they really complaining about? To, to who? To God. The ground opened up and swallowed them up. What do you do about that? Can you turn around and and put your fist to God and say, you know, you can't do this to me. Oh, the ground opens up. You're gone. There's no there's no fighting that. And Paul says he asks he asks us a question at the end. Do you think you're stronger than God? You think you can open up the ground and swallow up people and then close the ground back up? It opened up. They got swallowed up. And they closed. Now, we can't do that with, with super bombs and tractors. I mean, we just can't do that. This is God. And this was complaining against authority. This was serious. Because it's the attitude, right? I don't want to follow you, God, anymore. I'm tired of, of living this, this goody-goody life. I want to do whatever I want to do. The ground will eat you up. Or you'll be swallowed or taken down. In the end, you'll be taken down. Let's go to verse 11. He says, Now, All these things happen to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. And it's funny, he includes himself again, Paul. Our admonition. This is for me too. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. This is for all time. This is an example for all time. And it's not just for certain people. This is for all of us. And why is it for all of us? Because we can do the same thing. We can be the same way. I'm a big whiner complainer. I'm terrible. We can be the same way. Hopefully you don't complain to the Lord. He's, Paul is saying, remember what he did for you. He's forgiven you. He's given you new life. You're going to heaven. Don't forget that. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, kind of a wrap it up here. Therefore, verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And I think it's really interesting that he says, he uses the word standing and falling because we just talked about the ground opening up and <laughs> closing. At one moment, they're standing, shaking their fists at God. We can do whatever we want, and the ground opens up, and you fall. Watch out. You think you could stand. The ground will be taken right from you. You think you have strong legs to take a stand. Well, you're not going to have even the ground. And he says, take heed. Listen up. Because you will fall. If you're confident in your walk with Christ, you need to be aware and you need to beware. You can easily fall. Look at the examples he left for us. You can easily fall. None of us are so strong to stand up against God. To think you could play with sin and get away with it. 
God has mercy. And we pray for his mercy. You go to the Lord, ask forgiveness for your sin, and pray that there's mercy from the consequences of your actions. I receive much mercy in my life. I know this because I know what I've done. And the same for each of you. You know what you've done. And yet God let you walk into this building to come into this room and sit down and listen to his word. That's mercy right there. He allowed us to come in and worship with him and worship, worship him and worship with each other. And fellowship, that's amazing mercy right there. Because we don't deserve that. Hmm. I know I don't. So here we come to my favorite verse of all time. Verse 13. Because it speaks to me. There is hope for me. Like Paul, I need to include myself in the, the warnings to be able to, to able uh, I'm able to fall very easily but to be so determined and live a life for Christ and stand firm and stand strong he says no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, will make the way of escape also. That you may be able to bear it, or your Bibles might say that you may endure it. You got to go through it. You're going to have to go through it. I took some time to memorize that verse years ago because it meant so much to me. And I quote it to myself many, many times. One thing I noticed about this, reading it in context and studying this chapter, was that the way of escape is there for you to bear it. You have to endure it. And if you look back at what Paul had mentioned about the snakes and looking at Christ and looking at the brass serpent, those Israelites were still getting bit by snakes. They weren't immune from the bite. The bite hurt and they had to go through it. They still had to get bit. I mean, I would be the one to say, you know what? I'd rather just not get bit at all. No, thank you. That hurts. But they still had to get bit by those snakes. And they had to look up at the serpent and be saved. It's still going to hurt. We have to go through it. We have to bear it and endure it. But you can He's saying here, you can. This is a common thing. Your temptation, whatever it is, I don't know what it is for each of you, but it's a common thing. Meaning, you're not in it alone. Others are going through the same thing as Christians. And you can do this. It's going to hurt, but you can do this. And it's not beyond you. you. He's not going to let you go through it unless he knows that you can do it. And, and you can. He's going to provide a way of escape. That's what I love about this. The temptation is there, but there's a way of escape. They had an escape. They could, they could have said, you know what? Let's not complain against Moses. God has chosen one. God has chosen him. He, he's, he's God's anointed. Don't you remember what David did? 
He was in the cave. He was standing over Saul. He could have killed him right there and then. And he didn't. And his general is right next to him saying, come on, well, let me do it then. Let me do it. We're right here. I could do this. And he says, no, 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 don't do this. This is God's anointed one. Saul was anointed. And David was anointed. David knew this man was chosen by God. Who am I to do this? A reverence and a respect. The way of escape. David could have killed Saul right then and there, but he didn't. He had an escape to it. God had better plans. We have an escape for our sin. We do. If our eyes are open, we could see it. But sometimes we don't want to see it. We tempt ourselves because there's something we want to do. That's our, our carnality. We are but mere flesh. But we could look to Christ. We can be saved. So what do we do? We go through this temptation. We need to get our eyes off of that and look to Christ. He's on the cross. He died for us. All the pain of having to go through the fight, but to continue to fight and then go on fighting to endure it. God's going to help us. God is not going to let you through something, go through something that you can't, that you can't possibly say no to. If you're being tempted, God knows you can resist it, that you can fight it, you can endure it. Like I said, you're not alone in this battle. All right, verse 14 to 22. Um, He starts talking about idolatry here. I'm going to read 14 to 22 straight through. Therefore, another conclusion here. My beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, through though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we think, or do we, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? No, we're not. You know the answer to that question? No, we're not. Run from it. Run. And Paul is saying, you know what I'm talking about. He's saying, you wise. I'm speaking to you as wise men in verse 15. I'm talking to you because I know that you know what I'm talking about. And he says, judge for yourself what I'm saying. You know what I'm talking about. Some of these people are meeting together. They're taking communion. They're having fellowship with Christian brothers and sisters in the Lord. And they're going to these pagan temples and idols and worshiping. And they're eating food that they know was offered to idols. 
You've seen some of that. Food sitting there with candles next to it. Offered to idols. This food is offered to idols. Don't touch it. Don't eat it. They're not offering it to this little statue. That's what he's saying. They're offering it to demons. Don't eat that. And yet they were partaking of it. They're like, okay, it's good. It's our culture. It's what we do. No, don't do that. Paul is saying, you know what I'm talking about. And then he brings it to communion. You come in and you're taking this bread. It's the body of Christ. It's representing the body of Christ. You're taking this wine or this juice. It's the blood of Christ. And he's saying, you know, an idol, it's, it's, it's nothing. It's just a piece of wood or a piece of stone or something. But you sacrifice to that. And then you take communion. The, in, in this culture, they would sit around the table. And you've seen this in, in the Middle East. They sit, there's not a table. They sit around on a rug. Maybe it's a small table. And they'll pass the, a bread around. And it's a big loaf. And you each take a piece of it. And you might think, well, they're t- everybody's touching it. But you know what? It's, it's saying, I'm putting this in my body. And this same bread is going in your body. And it's going in your body. We are sitting around as one. Partaking together as one. Drinking the same cup as one. And they're saying, you're doing... You're taking food from demons and you're bringing it in to be as one? Don't do that. You really want to make God angry? You want to make him jealous? Are you stronger than he is? You don't think he can open the ground and swallow you up? It happened. He's saying, run. If you eat of a sacrifice, you partake of the altar, he says. You are taking part of that altar sacrifice. Your life can't be committed uh, to the ways of this world and yet continue to call yourself a Christian. You can't. Is it okay for you to get drunk? Is it okay for you to be living together? Is it okay for you to lie? After all, everybody does it, you know, lying. Is it okay for you to get high on drugs? Everybody does it, right? Are you married? Is it okay for you to be unfaithful to your spouse? See, you really don't want to make God jealous. The whole chapter, Paul is pointing out what happens when you do this. It's not good. Do you think you're stronger than God? You really think you'll get away with it? That's what he's saying. Okay, maybe the ground's not going to open up and swallow you up, but you really think you're going to get away with this? Let's go to verse 23. All things are lawful for me, Paul says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. See, the liberties that you have in Christ, do they edify? And what does edify mean? It means to instruct, to improve someone. Does it instruct or improve morally or intellectually the freedoms that you have in Christ? Does that help anybody? Does it improve any one of your brothers and sisters in Christ? And the answer is no. He says, you know, Paul is saying it's lawful for me. But because of you, I won't do it. And he's going to partake with that kind of battle, that kind of fight. 
In verse 24, it says, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. That's what he's talking about. Others. He's thinking about others. First, he's dying to self for us. And this is the example for us. We need to do that for each other. Verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Asking no questions for conscience sake. For, in verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. See, they were taking the food that was offered up to idols in the temples and then they're taking it down. They don't want to waste it. They're going to go sell it in the market. And then Christians are coming by and they're buying it. They're, They're eating it. Now, if you know, he's saying, if you know it's idle food, don't eat it. But he's saying, if you don't know, it's just food. If, if, if you don't know, they're just selling it to you. You're just going to buy it. It's just food. You're going to eat it. You're fine. Pray over it. Pray for your food. Ask no questions, he says. It's better you don't know. Your conscience is clear. Because it's all from the Lord. The Lord grew the plants, the onions, the carrots, the meat from animals. It's all good. Um, Let's go to, um, let's see, we're on uh, 26, right? We did, okay, uh, 27. Now I'm going to read through to 30. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake, right? Keep your peace of mind. Verse 28, but if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Verse 29. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil? Why am I evil spoken of for the food which over which I give thanks? Why is he evil spoken? You know, if they say, I offered this to idols, then you have to say, well, okay, I'm not going to eat it. For your sake? No, no, no. You, you, you probably can eat it and maybe it doesn't bother you. But for that person's sake, you're being an example to that person. They obviously told you for a reason. There's a guy who used to, uh, I used to work with, and uh, he was he was kind of a famous guy. He was born rich, and he told me he was a Christian, but he really wasn't. And you know, just the way he he would he would take me and try to tempt me with things because he knew I was a Christian. Show me things or ask me. Stupid questions about the flesh and stuff, and just trying to make me fall. And there are people like that. They want to see you fall. They know you're a Christian, and they want to see you stumble. And they'll give you food, and then you're about to eat it. And you know, I offered that to idols. Oh, thanks. Like, hey, come here, check this out. Like, no, I can't look at that. Oh, I just want to see. I just want to see if you're going to look. I want to see if you're going to do it. Look at, hey, drink this. Like, whoa. Now, something like that, I could, I could share with you real quick. I was a new Christian. And I was a teenager. And I was in high school. And I was in the marching band. And there was a bunch of guys. And we're all having fun. And this one guy, he was a big party animal. And he grew up in a Christian church. And he knew I was a Christian. 
And he was always offering me beer. And I'm like, no, no, no. And so one day, in the back of the school, he says, hey, man, come on, have a beer. And I'm like, no, no, no. He goes, come on, just one little sip. It's not going to do you any harm. And I was just like, fine. I took a little sip and I gave it back to him. I get this tap on my shoulder. My big brother is standing right there. And he's a Christian too. And he's with his girlfriend. She just got saved. He's like, what's wrong with you? What kind of example are you doing there? To this day, terrible example. It bothers me that I did that. But see, you have to think of others. You think it's nah, it's nothing, you'll be all right. You don't know who's standing back there watching. Somebody's watching. A new believer. Terrible. He is saying this to us because he doesn't want you to be a hypocrite. Like I was at that moment, I was a hypocrite. He doesn't want you to be a hypocrite. To be innocent from that kind of uh, name call, that kind of stamp on your life as a Christian. All right, let's go to uh, verse 31 to 33. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things. He's saying he himself is, is doing this. He's not just telling you what to do. He's doing it himself. I do this, he says. I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. That's the whole reason that they get saved. And Paul ends with a crazy statement that I can't do, but uh, uh, to put my life as a living example for yours. A crazy responsibility. Now, as we live and you see each other, yes, we can be an example. But to say this, <laughs> and it's in the, the first verse of chapter 11. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Can you say that? Hey, whatever, you know, if you, whatever difficult you're having, just imitate me. You'll be fine. Whoa, imitate me. No, I'm saying don't, don't imitate me. Don't do the things I do. But this is the kind of man Paul was. A true believer. <laughs> and he's given his life as an example for everyone. Just wild. Anyway, that's chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your grace. Lord, how good you are to us. And we pray, Lord, that we can be an example to others. Lord, that they would see our lives not as hypocrites, but a living example of who you are because we're looking at you, our eyes on Christ, remembering what you did for us on the cross remembering what you did for us for the children of Israel as an example. Lord, to live our life for you. And Lord, we do pray for mercy because we have all sinned. And so we fall short. And the consequences uh, we may have to endure, but Lord, we do pray for your mercy, for your grace, for your kindness, Lord. And so we thank you. If there's anyone here who has not given their life to Christ, he says, look up at me and be saved. He is the rock that gives the water of salvation. You can be saved. You don't have to live in bondage to these sins. They have you like chains. 
that you could be free from that and live in Christ. If you want to do this, repeat this prayer. Lord, I give my life to you. I want to live for you. I want to be born again. Forgive me for my sin. I repent from my sins. I give my life, a new life, to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.